from Wondery, this is I Hate My Boss. For all our new listeners, welcome. And if you've tuned in before, it's great to have you back. Now, usually we help you sort out all of your workplace drama with some comedic relief. Today's a little different. We're going to be talking about a very prevalent but delicate subject, sexual harassment. A warning before we start. If you're listening around little kids, this is probably not an episode they're ready for. If your kids are older, this may be a good episode to listen to with them. But we'll let you make that call. I'm Liz Dolan. I spent many years running marketing at global organizations, including Nike, the Oprah Winfrey Network, and National Geographic Channel. I also ran a media company with my sisters, where we produce podcasts like Satellite Sisters. And I'm Larry Seal. My job title is executive coach, which means I help business leaders around people and communication issues. Mostly I work in technology and creative organizations like Google and Disney and Sony. Larry, I feel like a damn might be breaking. Okay. At least I hope so. Have you noticed that a week does not go by without a new headline about sexual harassment? Oh, that's for sure. You know, at Fox News, Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly were forced out after years of sexually harassing and yeah. humiliating women. Uber's now taken a hit since a former engineer's blog post exposed a culture that was turning a blind eye to the very same behavior we were seeing over at Fox News. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on. Sexual harassment is even in the plot lines in current episodes of two of my favorite comedies, both Veep and Master of None. Well, on today's show, we'll dig into what's happening. We'll hear from some of you and provide some advice about what you can do about it. And if you're saying to yourself right now, well, I've never been harassed or I'd never harass anyone, I promise you, that's even more reason for you to stay tuned to this episode of I Hate My Boss. You know, sexual harassment has been so much in the news. And yet, for all of the conversation, it is really still very misunderstood, partially because it's so awkward to talk about. You know, from my own experience in the working world, I'd say many women put up with it for as long as they can because there are just so many fears about speaking up. Just look at how many women stepped up at Fox News only after Gretchen Carlson did. And you see this a lot, like somebody needs to break that dam. Later, we're going to talk to Heather McDonald. She's the host of the Juicy Scoop podcast, and she reached that breaking point herself and finally went public on her show. You know, Liz, this is a difficult issue for everybody, right? Employees, managers, employers. We aren't attorneys, and we're not going to try to be, but we do have legal help on deck today. Joining us is Tucker Miller. She's the vice president client development and consulting at ELI Incorporated. Tucker is an experienced attorney who talks to employees, managers, and companies about harassment and other unwelcome issues in the workplace. Tucker, it's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here, Liz and Larry. Thanks, Tucker. Well, obviously, we're trying to help people with this conversation. So let's start at the very beginning. Can you define sexual harassment for us? There are two types of sexual harassment. One type, called quid pro quo, applies very specifically to any form of gender discrimination in which you have an individual who's in a position of authority who engages in some sort of exchange, and this is that this for that. I'm going to promote you if you sleep with me. If you don't go out with me, you'll be terminated. Some kind of exchange where there's a sexual favor being offered on the condition that somebody's job will get better or worse. The other form of sexual harassment is called a hostile work environment, but to be an unlawful hostile work environment, there's actually some specific components that need to come into play here. In this instance, you have someone who is engaging in behavior that is 
offensive and unwelcome and that affects somebody's ability to perform their job. The person or people that create a hostile work environment need not be managers. And the key thing here is that once on notice, they must take prompt and effective action to stop the behavior. Essentially, if you feel that you're being targeted on the basis of your gender or sex, there is the basis by which you could imagine that this is sexual harassment. You know, the moment you start to use the word feelings, you can see why organizations freak out. Because organizations like rules, but people have feelings. So Tucker, what are the fears that victims have that keep them from reporting sexual harassment? Because, you know, we know that most of it still goes unreported. Most of it does go unreported. In fact, it's almost 75% of people who've experienced sexual harassment are afraid to speak up and don't speak up. It's fear. As simple as that. Fear that it'll keep going. Fear that it'll get worse. Fear that other people will hear about it. What's the stigma? How are people going to talk about me? I'm embarrassed. Will this follow my career? Will this limit my ability to move forward or advance in the organization? Will people see me differently? And will I not be believed? One of the biggest fears that people have is how far do I have to go to prove how I am experiencing this? And am I going to be made out as someone who is making things up or is too sensitive? So if I'm a person who's experienced this, what should I be thinking about? Like, what do you do next? The first step is to talk to somebody about what's coming up for you. Find someone that you trust. And it doesn't necessarily need to be someone in HR or someone with a law degree, but start telling your story and getting it out of your head and see how it impacts someone else. And then through that process, very often, you'll begin to decide how you want to handle the problem. And sometimes the situation is really, really simple and people fail to simply just speak up. And by speaking up, it's not necessarily reporting the concern. It's, have I told the person what I don't like and ask them to stop. And certainly, if you're comfortable doing that, by all means, feel free to do it. And very often, the person who's engaging in some behavior that makes you feel uncomfortable has no idea that the behavior is unwelcome. You can talk directly to the person, and I think people forget that that's an option. So, Tucker, if we think about managers and we think about companies, what should they be doing? Beyond just training people about definitions and what sexual harassment is and don't do the blatant, obvious behaviors, a focus on a broader range of civil behavior, focusing on how to engage people to speak up when they see things that are unfair and appropriate, engaging bystanders very specifically, so that it's not always the target or the recipient of the behavior that's left with the responsibility of speaking up. It's everybody else taking some ownership. And you asked Larry about what should managers be doing. They should be looking out and acting on the things that they see as well, rather than conspiring to keep this stuff quiet. I think we say we should be calling out the behavior, but the behavior, because it's a power thing, it's very unlikely to be called out by the person it's happening to. It is much more effective, I would think, for the boss of the person doing it to call it out in the moment. It's the person with the power that needs to be 
putting a stop to it. So you're there in the workplace. It doesn't happen to you per se, but you witness something that looks uncomfortable. What are your obligations? And I don't just mean legally, but I mean, what could you do? What should you do? What can you do? If it were something where, you know, the dynamic would make the person reluctant to call that behavior out in real time, then I think there are two avenues. One, should I go to the person and and let them know that that Mm -hmm. bothered me too and find out how they felt about it and then together decide on a course of action? Or it may be I'm going to go speak with someone in management about what I just observed. And it depends on the nature of it and how comfortable that person is with the individuals involved. I had a a long conversation with a woman who was in this situation last week. She didn't want to come on to the show, but I did want to understand what she experienced. And she had a colleague come to her and say, I see what's happening to you. I think I need to report it. But that brought up all of her same fears that you set up earlier on. That doesn't make her fear go away, right? She's still fearful about not being a team player, about being retaliated against, about all those things that you mentioned. So she actually told the other person, like, Please just let me handle this. I think it's really common. You know, there's all the fears we said about coming forward. And I also think that people have the mistaken perception that for as long as I don't report it, I'm in control of this situation. Right. And the reality is they're not in control at all. It's a complete paradox because while they're not saying anything or doing anything about it, the behavior that they object to or that makes them feel uncomfortable is continuing. One thing that I hear back from people all the time, Tucker, is, well, this is just political correctness run amok in the office. It's all about feelings and how am I supposed to know how you're feeling? I don't really, you know, it's not my job to figure out what makes you feel good or feel bad. How do you frame up that discussion? The response that I would give if I were in that situation would be, Essentially, are you not able to do your job without harassing me? Amen, sister. (laughs) Yeah. Or brother, whatever. Tucker, we have some questions from our listeners who have actually experienced sexual harassment in their workplaces, and we've changed their name to protect their privacy. Our first caller is Karen. Karen, you wrote to us about an incident that happened to you two years ago. What happened? After a work event, my coworkers and I decided to go grab drinks together, and we invited one of our male coworkers to join. And we didn't realize at the time that he had already had too much to drink. I was sitting next to him at the bar that we were at, and while we were all socializing, I like felt his hand touch my thigh and kind of slide up my leg under my dress. And I just felt really uncomfortable, but I didn't really know how to react in front of everybody. So I'm not good at confrontation. This coworker is 20 years older than me and the second highest position at the company I work for. So. I excused myself and went to the bathroom to kind of like cool off and collect my thoughts. And when I came back, I just ended up sitting at the other end of the table. So while I was gone, another coworker had sat down next to him. And um, after he left for the night, she mentioned to the table that the same thing had happened to her at the table with us with our HR manager who kind of brushed it off and just said like, well, he's offered me his hotel room key before. That's just who he is. That's fairly common. Wouldn't you say that sometimes the reaction you want from your own HR department is not the kind of support that you get. That's true. And in the reaction of HR or other leaders who tolerate and accept this behavior, the explanation, well, that's just how he is, is all too often what people will say. And yet the reality is clearly this is behavior that made Karen feel uncomfortable. And it was known, observed, and tolerated by more than just her. Yeah. 
didn't mean to inter- interrupt you, Karen. Go ahead. So, so then what happened? A month later, another issue came up between this coworker and one another female coworker. And so at that time, our HR manager approached both of us and said, we really needed to step up at this time and file a report. And she didn't realize how serious it was like at the time when it happened. And it felt more like she was covering herself and didn't really care. But we ended up filing an official complaint to our male boss. His reaction was he requested that we both come in individually to his office and go through all the details of the incident. And we said that we were very uncomfortable with that option, to which his reaction was that he was offended that we didn't feel like we could come talk to him. My heart is breaking, actually, at hearing this process, because one of the things that's really sad about this is that it took three people coming together in mass in order to make it apparent to the HR person that we needed to do something about it. And then the thing that you were ultimately asked to do is confront the very person that you were clearly uncomfortable confronting earlier, or you would have already had that conversation. Right. It seems like she's forcing the worst nightmare. I, I mean, I'm just shaking my it's head. It's so disappointing, right? It's in so this day disappointing. And age. So our company is overseen completely by a board of directors. So the HR manager asked the board to put together a like HR committee basically to talk to us that included a mix of male and female. In the end, after talking to us and talking to him, the coworker had a letter put in his file and a slap on the wrist and then was asked to apologize to us. Uh, and that was it. One week later, I was asked to go on an out-of-town business trip with him where nothing happened, but it was just really uncomfortable considering everything over the past few weeks with him. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when you wrote to us, Karen, you said you really love your job. You love the opportunities there. You even said that it brings you great joy. And yet now you feel like you really need to go start looking for something else. Yeah. Well, about a year later, he actually ended up being asked to uh, resign from the company because of an altercation he had in front of one of our really big clients. And um, I guess that's when it really matters, when it's in front of a client. Okay, sorry. Yes, I was really disappointed with how everything happened, but then I had the opportunity once he left to move into the department he had worked for and there was a new supervisor hired. When this first happened, what would have made this actually reasonable and better for you? Besides for it not to have happened in the first place, which of course should be the goal and the standard of behavior. Yeah. I didn't want it to be the reason that somebody lost their job, but I also didn't want his behavior to be accepted. And I felt like in the end, he got to keep his job and I don't really think anything was learned from that situation. I don't, I think he just felt like he got lucky and kept moving on. Yeah. Beyond the individual incidents, what I hear from Karen's comments very loud and clear is that it's not just this individual who touched me or made this comment. It's the failure of the organization overall to treat me with respect, to listen to my story, to understand the perspective I have, to protect me from a situation that is getting aggravated and where I'm feeling more vulnerable. And I think it's really key here that sexual harassment is not just an individual action or assault. It's an organizational issue as well. It does illustrate just an incredibly common pattern. As we were prepping for this show, Larry, you and I were talking about how lots of times 
women just quietly go away, right? It's just so much easier to change jobs. That's what makes me sick about this is like, where is the appropriate remedy to this to where people feel taken care of, they feel heard, they feel valued, yeah. and they don't just have to, oh my gosh, this happened to me. If I bring it up, I have to leave. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Or if you don't bring it up, you kind of have to leave too. You know, it's unfortunate, but I want to really commend Karen for listening to what her experience is and honoring that and not trying to just force her way through this situation and pretend it's not happening. I think that the goal now at this point is how do I leave as intact and as well as possible? So Karen, here's what we wish for you. We wish you another workplace, another job opportunity that brings you great joy. Thank you so much for bringing us your story. Thanks, Karen. Thank you so much. So our next question comes from a listener, and we're going to call her Sonia. Sonia, we understand you worked in a manufacturing environment. You were the only woman there and a male coworker inappropriately around you. What happened? I am an engineer, and in my first job out of college about 15 years ago, I worked at a chemical plant where I was the only woman in that location, the only woman of really any of the plants in the whole eastern region of the company. I was really excited at that prospect of kind of like breaking that barrier, and in fact, I thought it brought more to the table because of my diversity. Right. So I trained with a man who was about 25 years older than me. And we got along great until he started kind of really pushing the envelope with his language. And he started talking to me about his anatomy. Uh oh, red flag. We call that here at I Hate My Boss. That is a red flag. <laughs> so it was casual. He wasn't like threatening me in any way. And he was kind of like giggling about it. Like, I think he really wanted to see what kind of reaction he got out of me. I was really uncomfortable. So. Um, I went to the only person I thought I could trust, which was my female HR rep. I asked for help on how I could talk to this person and get him to stop talking this way. They told me that they didn't want to hear another word of what I had to say unless I was going to file an official sexual oh. harassment charge. <laughs> I'm a little bit spe I'm shocked. That's not at all the way the laws are written. The company has an obligation to take action to investigate and correct situations the moment they become on notice. And the HR manager that you met with as an agent of the company, once they receive that information, they now are on notice. And you were telling them, I want the behavior to stop. So what did end up happening next? I mean, I was really crushed that that's how they responded. And, you know, I kind of had this light switch that I immediately felt like I can't trust HR in general. So I, I got some help from a female mentor, somebody else that was not in HR. And I did end up talking to my coworker about what he was doing. And so she kind of like brokered this meeting. I did tell him it made me uncomfortable and I didn't want him to get in trouble, but I just wanted him to change his language. Like it was not okay with me. Our mutual boss that we had was in the room at the time, but there was no HR. And unfortunately, the the incident followed me to other locations. It's one of the fundamental fears we were talking about at the top of the show, that it's just going to sort of mark you and your career forever. Tucker, I feel like we keep bagging on HR departments and HR people, but a lot of people work in environments where there is no HR department. And so it's not really about HR as a department or a process. It's about correcting behavior and setting professional standards. Right. And that there be some leadership to address it. 
you know, I, I felt young. I felt like looking back now, I just know I was, I was young. And I felt like when they first told me, like, basically, we're not going to help you. I just felt like I'm on my own here. And if I want this behavior to stop, it's up to me to stop it. There's something I think about being a woman engineer. That's something in you that's like, I'm going to fight all the time. Yeah. You know, and that was totally part of it. Maybe to a fault, you know, that. Yeah, sure. I really wanted to share this because I've heard of similar stories with other, you know, women in male dominated fields. And it's not as far back into the past as some people might think. I just couldn't be more struck with your courage and forthrightness here. What what counsel would you have if someone came to you and you're the mentor? Yeah, I think the best thing um, that I did was, let's face it, myself was, you know, tell the person like this is this is not okay. As hard as that was, I think that was still the right choice. And just kind of continually evaluating, am I getting the most out of this? job relationship as what I'm putting into it. Thank you so much, Sonia, for telling us about this. And sadly, the reason we're doing this show today is because this is not a thing of the past. Do great stuff out there, Sonia. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Tucker, thank you so much for joining us today on I Hate My Boss. We really needed a lawyer to get through this one, didn't we, Larry? Yes, we did. My (laughs) pleasure. I enjoyed it a great deal. Thank you both. Next up, we have a conversation with Heather McDonald. She's a fellow podcaster, but also a stand-up comedian, an actress, a writer, and a former staff writer, producer, and regular on Chelsea Lately. She's known as someone who doesn't hold back on anything. But in this case, she did for many months until she went public on her podcast, Juicy Scoop. So, Heather, you were being sexually harassed by your boss. What does it actually feel like? I think what it is is that it makes you uncomfortable because you know it's inappropriate. You know it's not right. And, you know, I'm over 40, and he was an older guy, and he's an unfunny guy. And being a comedian, I was like, oh, this guy is just unfunny. This isn't funny. This is uncomfortable. This isn't right. So sometimes you laugh along with it because you want the exchange to end as quickly as possible. Right. It affects your creativity and your work performance because it's like this thing that you're now concerned with and taking over for you. So when companies don't make a big deal out of sexual harassment, they're probably actually hurting their productivity because by allowing it to happen or not recognizing it or not educating the men of why it is not appropriate, it makes you feel like, well, I'm not as talented as I was because I think I'm doing this great job, but now my breasts were just talked about. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm not as smart. It's like it chips away at your self-esteem even though it's essentially a compliment about your body. Yeah, but that's the weird thing about it, right? I mean, and I'm sure that when some of these guys are saying it, they're assuming you are going to receive it in that way. Right. Like, why would she not love this? Why aren't you being flattered? It's interesting to me, having heard your whole story on your podcast, Juicy Scoop, that, I mean, you're such a strong person. You're such an outspoken person. You talk about all kinds of things in very frank ways. And yet something like this that a lot of people would say, oh, come on, Heather, just let it roll off your back, got to you so much. This is what I think people don't understand well, about don't, sexual harassment. And they don't understand it. And being a edgy, dirty comedian who uses bad language and talks about sex, and I ask people right off the bat about sex all the time, I thought I probably don't have any right to even say that this happened to me. Because someone's immediately going to say, really, Heather McDonald, you Mm -hmm. were offended. But 
it was happening in a workplace. This was my source of income. This was driving my live shows. My podcast, when it began at Podcast One, was extremely important to my career at the time. And I just was like, oh, my God, what do I do? Because I'm not comfortable and I don't want to have association with this person. However, this person can take my show away or prevent me from going somewhere else or whatever, which well, that's eventually it. It's happened. It's the power dynamic. It's the power dynamic. It's which not is really about sex. Right. And it's it was about ex- power and yes. control. And we were not comedy writers around in a room all on the same level. So there are levels. That it doesn't always apply. Right. I, and I, you're in a unique business that way. When I shared the story, I go, look, am I being ridiculous? I don't know. And I, I happen to have had the sexual harassment on tape because I was trying to tape a bra commercial. And when I played it, the response was something I didn't even anticipate because the people that had been listening to me for over a year said, oh, my God, your voice and your demeanor. Absolutely. That's the way I felt listening. And I was like, we'll put a link to that show in our show notes. You sound like a different person just because he's standing in the room having said stuff to you. You know, creepy predatory behavior. It's very undermining. And you're a professional performer. I don't even know you. I could hear it in your voice. Yeah. And I didn't even really realize it until people pointed it out. And I thought, my God, I have this on tape. And still, so imagine all the other people that just have to tell their story. with no Right. People that would never have proof. Everyone would say, Mm -hmm. oh, come on, there's no way that guy. Yeah. yeah. You have it on tape. You know what's going on. But that's still different than going public with it. Just deciding, I'm putting it out there. I'm going to say this. What pushed you over that edge? Because I think a lot of women in way different businesses than yours are just sort of living with the secret and figuring, well, I'll just let it roll off my back. They learn to just like avoid the person. And just looking like that you're difficult. I, you know, said, no, I I won't say anything. Again, I don't want to prepare to be difficult. But then when all the stuff started coming out with Roger Ailes Mm -hmm. and even the stuff that caught Donald Trump on tape. So I was in Florida with my friend and I shared my story and I said, what, I'm like this edgy, dirty comedian. I did it. And she's like, why don't you just play it for your listeners and see what they think? So I kind of put it out there like, I'm going to ask you guys, you know, because I'm so sensitive to being criticized and, oh, you whiny and, you, you know, whatever. And then the reaction was very good. However, you know, a lot didn't come of it as far as any kind of problem for him, because when you have that kind of money, you can make sure that nobody writes about the story or whatever. But he is a UC regent. And it's interesting because there was just an article that came out about this 84-year-old UC Berkeley professor who has been a serial sexual harasser. And UC Berkeley protected him and protected him and protected him. And I said, isn't that interesting Mm -hmm. that he's a UC regent? He's making the decisions about sexual harassment and everything. And here's his old crony friend that looks just like him who's been, you know, a disgusting sexual harasser at UC Berkeley. So that's the problem. And I think what's great is that the younger generation of women are not putting up with it, are saying enough is enough. And part of it is educating men to know why it affects a woman and doesn't affect a man the same way. Yeah. So what was the reaction? You did a whole show about it. You played the tape. I'm sure you got a wide range of reactions. None of it was negative, except I did reach out to friends in the business. And I said, could you post about this? I think it's really something that's important that should be discussed. That's when you really know who your friends are. And in raising my sons, they have to be educated. And I I remember I did a radio show and I talked about it. And they were like, he's like, a man can be sexually harassed too. And I said, okay, I'm not saying that you can't, but there is a difference. 
people have a different experience because of how they look and the sex that they are. And when you are female, you are forever vulnerable. I mean, it's such an awful thing to say. But once I explain that to my boys, they they start to get it and they understand. And I played the tape for them and they listen and they're like, yeah, that is really gross. The reason it's happening with old men is because they got away with it. Because mm-hmm. nobody told them, nobody taught them, no one spoke about it. They should know better, but on the same sense, they are not being raised like my sons are being raised. So, Well, good work. Thank you for yes. talking about it on your show, Juicy Scoop. And thank you for talking about it on I Hate My Boss. Thank you. Heather McDonald's book, My Inappropriate Life, Some Material Not Suitable for Small Children, Nuns, or Mature Adults, is available on Audible. You can get it for free with a 30-day trial membership by going to audible.com slash boss. That's audible.com slash boss. You know, Larry, it's interesting to me that Heather is so hopeful that the generation coming up now would never dream of engaging in that kind of dirty old man behavior. Let's hope so, but there are certainly plenty of current examples of bro culture that's just as bad. So I'm not sure she's right that this is dying off. Liz, I'm with you. I, I'm so disappointed, frankly. It feels like things are better in some ways, and yet you look at this and you're like, you know what? I don't know that this ever went away. I think it just goes underground for a little bit, and then it pops back up again. It's like, here it is. And in the case of sterling jewelry, it had been going on for decades. Mm-hmm. But also, that's why you and I were so adamant about having this conversation on our show, because the more you talk about it, it's the only way people are really going to be able to deal with it. It's emotional. It's complicated. It's about feelings and people feel differently about things by exposing some of the things that we have here today. I hope I hope people's minds have been opened a little bit. Right. Just getting it out on the table and allowing us to be able to talk about it. I was, I guess, naively dumbstruck. Yeah, naively. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can understand. But look at the range of behaviors even we talked about today. And it's because it's everything that I think it does make it hard for people to step forward about it. And it makes it hard for companies to really know how to train people to deal with it. For me, it's made me more conscious. It's made me more conscious of how I show up, about the workplace that I help lead. Um, It just opens my eyes and it's opening up more conversation. We've already been talking about it in my office. Like, is there anything we do that that doesn't feel comfortable or could be more comfortable? And I think it's a good place to be. You know, as a boss, one of the things that's been hard for me, sometimes you see someone in the organization that you think, and it's not all the way over the line, but you know that it's just not on a good path. And I've never known what to do about this. So I talked to a former boss of mine about Mm -hmm. this particular scenario. And I said, what would you do if you knew that there was someone in your department that was like always, always right on the line? And he immediately said, oh, I've had that happen. And I called that person in and I had the conversation with them about these are the standards. This is what you're not seeing. You need to pay more attention. And I was, you know, I was happy to hear that there are bosses out there in the world doing that. And it's like once he said that, of course, it's the right thing to do. If that conversation was a man to a man, I think it would be a little bit harder 
as a woman to a man to say that, but yeah, maybe. if you're the boss, it's still your job. I certainly see lots of great people out in the workplace that are doing the right things, that are saying, sure, that are most speaking people. up. Yeah. Exactly. And so even if the entire culture isn't working well, you know, we probably don't hear about those individual courageous conversations where you go, guess what? That's not okay here. And I know we keep using the word courageous, but it's kind of not. It's just kind of your job. You know, it's just it's just set a professional standard. That's your job. And we'd like to hear from you. Share your stories with us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at I Hate My Boss Show. You can also email us. We're I Hate My Boss at Wondery.com. And our phone number is 424-224-5711. I Hate My Boss is now available on the NPR One app alongside all of your favorite podcasts and news from NPR. Download the app and follow us to make sure you hear all of our new episodes. Tell us you love us by hitting the interesting button on your screen. Have you tried that? Interesting? We are interesting. The other way to support the show is to take advantage of the great offers by our sponsors by going to casper.com slash boss, blueapron.com slash boss, ziprecruiter.com slash boss, and audible.com slash boss. Slash boss. Thank you for listening. This episode was hosted by me, Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engaged Leadership, and Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister. The original theme song was composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton. Special consultant, Julia Smith. Produced by Cerise Castle. Executive producer, Jeffrey Glazer. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. Hold up. 